0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message.
1: Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Thank you for taking your seat. Was that fun or what? Yeah, does that get you ready for Christmas Eve? We are going to have so much fun Christmas Eve. And, uh, boy, a special good morning to all of you who are here for the first time. My name is Ron, and I'm going to be teaching us over the next 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, More like 30. How's that? Uh, Those of you who know me well, yes, okay. We are going to have some fun. We're going to learn some really important things about life today. But before we get into that, I just want to give you a personal welcome. I want to encourage you to make yourself at home. Uh, Church is a place where you should feel at home. And I know when it's your first time in a place, you wonder... Am I going to know what to do? Am I going to know when to sit, to sit down, when to stand up? Am I going to know, you know, what all the protocols are? We'll try to walk you through it as best we can. It's fairly, we're a fairly uncomplicated church. Uh, so I just want you to make yourself a, a, at home. If you want to bring some coffee in here, please feel free to do that or hot chocolate, whatever you, whatever you want to do. Uh, but most of all, I want to invite you to get engaged with what God wants to do in your life. Because if you come to church and you get the best coffee in the world, but you miss God, you could have gone to Starbucks or some other place, right? So yeah, church is where we engage with God. So I want to welcome you on that journey. Let me introduce you to a couple of tools that we use in our church all the time. The first is this long skinny card. We have found that church works best when everyone who comes has the opportunity to communicate directly with those of us on the pastoral staff. Uh, we think that's the way a good church should be. So this card makes all of that possible. You can start by just putting your name and email address and any other contact information that you're comfortable giving us on the front. Because on the backside, you have the opportunity to ask us to pray about something that's happening in your life, to request information about something we're doing uh, in the church, to sign up for things that, that you can read about in the, other, in, in the other parts of the packet that you got. But it all begins with us knowing who you are. So if you put your name and contact information there, that way when we get ready to pray or we need to close that communication loop with you, we can. And then secondly, inside the program that you got on the way in, you should find a sheet of teaching notes. You'll want to grab those because they will help guide you through what I'm going to teach over the next few minutes. If you're brand new to New Life, let me bring you up to speed very quickly. We usually teach in series. And this particular series that we're in right now, appropriately, is based around truths that are found in Christmas carols. And uh, as you know, many of the Christmas carols have some very important words. I love the Christmas carol uh, that was sung as we took communion. What child is this? And and all the questions that it asks. Well, today, the Christmas carol that we're going to focus on, at least in this part of our service is a Christmas carol that probably for many of us is a favorite. The title is Away in a Manger. And you may have heard that that was Luther's uh, Christmas carol. That actually is uh, not true. Uh, uh, This carol was not written until the late 1800s. And one of the interesting things about it, it has three verses. The first two were written by one guy, and the third one was written by a different guy 10 years later. So there you go. Uh, It's a great carol. If you're like me, I can remember my mom singing this lullaby to me when I was a kid, putting me to sleep. So it has a lot of really fond memories for me as a child. Last week, Pastor Kevin, as he wrapped up his message, he said he he sort of delivered this truth to us, that one of the reasons that Jesus came was to flip our script about ourselves. And we're going to delve into that, and I'm just going to sort of pick that that theme up. But before I jump into that, I want to paint a picture for you. Most of us sort of live here, and God tells us that there's a place somewhere out there where we could live in amazing freedom. Actually, we would be free to be fully the person that God created us to be. It would be a place, really, of pretty much unlimited freedom. We wouldn't be bound by the conventionalities that everybody else wants to put on us. In fact, the more that we get into that place of freedom, the more we will find ourselves saying this, Wow, I was made for this. Now, I know that most of us have been in that spot one or more times in our life where we just, we were so thrilled With what God did or what we did at some point in our life, that that on the inside we just triggered this message. Wow, I was made for this. I love doing this. Well, the question is, how do we? Where is that place of freedom, and how do we get there? Well, the first thing we have to understand sometimes is how not to get there. Okay, Uh, and so Kevin said that Jesus came to flip the script we have about ourselves and God. So let's take a look at some of the scripts or narratives that go on in our subconscious mind oftentimes. And if we're not careful, they define us. The first would be this, that I am what I do. In other words, my career defines me. Where I am in the corporate ladder, what I do. And the prestige or the non-prestige that comes with that, if we're not careful, that can begin to identify us and become part of the identity that we start to live in and feel our sense of value from. A second thing is, well, I am what I own. This is what forces us many times to go out and buy cars that we don't actually need. It's what forces us to want to live sometimes in a particular zip code that we don't actually need to live in. It's also, on the flip side, what causes us to be embarrassed sometimes when we drive a junker, right? And especially if we pull up to certain places, we feel like, oh, man, I hope no one sees me driving in. Sometimes what makes us embarrassed of our clothes? You ever go out of the house and hope that no one sees you because you were just going down to the store to get something and you always run into a bunch of people who know you, right? That's how that works? Yes, Or I am how I look, my body defines me, or I am what I know, my education defines me, or my degrees define me, or here's, here's a big one, I am my biggest failure. Some of us this morning, that's a narrative that goes on in our subconscious that's way too powerful. And we live in the context of our biggest failure every day. There's no freedom in that. Believe it or not, there's no more freedom in, in I am my biggest accomplishment. It's just as, it's just as debilitating, But so I, I'm defined by what I've done. Or I am what others think. This is huge. I am what others think. So many people come and talk to me, Pastor, you can't believe what happened to me. This person said this about me and this person believed it. And, and I'm, I'm never this direct, but what I want to actually say is the biggest problem with that is that you believe it. And now you're starting to identify yourself by what other people say and think about you. By the way, this is what causes us many times to go buy the things that we don't need to buy and to brag when we don't need to brag and to talk about what we know when we don't need to talk about what we know because we're operating in this paradigm that my identity is defined by how other people see me. And then I am how I compare to others. Did you know, I call this being defined by our win-loss record. Did you know we all have a win-loss record in our heads? And when we do better than most people do, we chalk that up as a win. And when in our mind we don't do as well as most people do, we chalk that up as a loss. And we tend oftentimes to define ourselves by our win-loss record. Now, I can tell you that not only do none of those lead to that wonderful place of freedom, those are the things that often block us from living the life that we were actually made to live. And Jesus came to help us with that. So let's jump into the Christmas story and, and, and let's read a portion of it that most of us, maybe all of us, are familiar with. <clears throat> that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Here's what he said. Don't be afraid. I bring you, underline this, would you please, good news that will bring great joy to To all people. There are three main parts to that. Okay? Good news. Great joy. All people. It goes on to say this. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloths, lying where? In a manger. Hence the song, Away in a Manger. Suddenly the angels were joined by a vast host of others and the armies of heaven and they were praising God and they were saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That might be why there was some good news in there. All right? It goes on to say, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph... And there was the baby lying where? In a manger, thus away in a manger.
0: Asleep on the hay Lay down his sweet head. The stars in the sky. Looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus. Asleep on the hay. Thank you.
1: One of the. One of the phrases that's repeated in that song several times is the phrase, the little Lord Jesus. There's a world of thought in that short phrase. You see, without a doubt, the biggest surprise of Christmas was this. The Jews, who had this promise of the Messiah that they had been praying about for centuries And they had all these dreams and all these prophecies and so forth. Somehow in the Jews' mind, their idea that they came up with for the Messiah was that he would be this guy who would appear sort of out of nowhere and who would come riding into Jerusalem on a a massive horse and would have a sword and he would carry such personal power that everyone in the world would be afraid of him And everyone would fall in line and he would rule the world. In short, the Jews had dreamed and prayed for centuries for a Messiah that everyone would be afraid of. But God sent them a Messiah that everyone was drawn to. That was such a big surprise. They missed him. Can I tell you if you want this sermon in a nutshell? Here it is. Most of us in our lives dream of wielding the kind of power that would make others envious of us. That we would drive the car that other people want to drive. That we would wear the clothes that other people want to wear. That we would have the job that other people want to have that we would have the bank account that other people want to have. Those are all things that put distance between us and other people. That's the afraid of kind of power. But God sent us a Messiah that everyone was drawn to. Can I tell you that the drawn to kind of power is massively more powerful than the afraid of kind of power. I also want to share with you that as we allow God to break those other scripts and to rewrite them into the one and only healthy script for our life, he will produce in us this wonderful, drawn-to power that people will want to be around us. I want to show you how that works this morning as soon as... Hello. Angela, would you be kind enough? Yes. Um, I'm going to show you how this works. And while she's doing that, um, well, let me tell you a story, all right? Let's go to John chapter 13. I'll just start reading to you and they'll get it together, okay? Later on in Jesus' life, There's a story that gives us great insight into Jesus' identity. Thank you, Justin. Yes. Thank you, Vanna. Right. There you go. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, So, (laughs) there's a story of Jesus' life, in Jesus' life, where we get great insight into his identity. How the context in which Jesus lived every moment of every day of his life. And it enabled him to live in this wonderful place of freedom. And I want you to watch this in action in the story. Here's how the story begins. Jesus knew that the father, that God had given him authority over everything. Okay. You could underline that, that underline this next part. And he also knew that he had come from God. You can underline that. And then last of all, Jesus knew that he would return to God. Those were the cornerstones of Jesus' identity and we're going to come back to those. So what did they enable to do? Jesus to do? Well, they put him in this place of freedom that he could do something that no one else in the room was willing to do. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Let me paint this picture for you. This was a Passover meal. The Passover was the biggest Jewish celebration of every year, and the centerpiece of Passover was this Passover meal. Jesus had sent two of his uh, disciples to go and prepare the room and the meal for them to come and eat that night. And so they had got, they had actually probably rented or borrowed a room and they made sure it had a table in it and it had uh, places for the disciples to sit. They made sure that there was a basin, that there was water, there was a towel so their feet could be washed because that was the first thing that you did when you went into anyone's house they always made sure that your feet were washed. That was, the, that was just customary. That's what you always did, and particularly at a feast. And they had everything ready, the food and all that stuff. But apparently, whoever those two people were, forgot to make arrangements for a servant to come and wash the feet of, of the guests that night. So Jesus and the 12 disciples enter this room And the first thing they walk by is a stand that has the basin and the water and the towel. They all look at it. And they all think the same thing. I'm not washing. Because, well, I'm a disciple. I am what other people see me as. If I stoop to wash other people's feet, what are they going to think of me? That I'm the lowest of the disciples. And we all know, well maybe we don't all know, but those many of us know, what did these disciples usually argue about? Who was the greatest of the disciples? So no one was going to wash the feet. Because that would be tantamount to... to, agreeing in the presence of everyone that you were actually the least. So they all file by and they all go sit down and Jesus starts the meal and he gives everyone the opportunity plenty of time to actually get up and rectify that situation. But this is the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. In fact, people would rather eat with stinky, dirty feet than they would to go wash somebody else's. So they're all sitting around the table with their stinky, dirty feet because no one has the freedom on the inside to go get the situation solved. Jesus, knowing that he had come from God, knowing that he was going to go back to God, knowing that God had given him all authority was not at all threatened by going and taking the towel and washing people's feet. He would feel the same about himself before he washed them, than after. Got it? He had that wonderful place of freedom. So Jesus got up and did it. Now, you know what else I find interesting? There's 12 other guys sitting around the table and all 12 of them, any of the 12 of them could have gotten up and said, no, Jesus, let me wash. Not one single person made a move. They just put their foot out He gets to Peter, and Peter says, oh, no, no, you're not going to wash my feet. But you know what Peter doesn't say? Here, let me do that. He would still rather have stinky feet than allow Jesus to wash his feet, but he's not about to wash anybody else's. How did that work? By the way, this is exactly why the people of that day and time were not drawn to the 12 disciples, but they were drawn drawn to Jesus. Powerful principle. Let's show let me show you how this works. Okay? Because everything that Jesus did flowed straight from his identity that we're going to come back to. Okay? And because Jesus knew on the inside that he had come from God, he knew on the inside where he was going, and he knew that God had given him all authority or had put power in his life, Jesus was not threatened. He had a wonderful sense of identity, and that sense of identity gave rise to, another, to the layer right outside of it, which is a layer of humility. When you know who you are, and it's unshakable in you. It gives you the ability to be, to be humble. Now listen, this is often what I call humble strong. And the reason that many of us struggle with humble strong is because we don't actually know where humility comes from. And I don't have time to break this out fully today, but let's start over here. There's a scale that we all have in our minds. And on this side, we have low self-esteem. Okay, this is where we have no self confidence and we, we continually demean ourselves. And on this side, we have what I call bravado or arrogance. Okay, and so we think, "Wow, um, where would humility be on that scale?" And here's what most of us believe: that there's a zone, sort of right here in the middle, halfway between low self esteem and bravado and arrogance. And we think this is the humble zone. I don't have time to break it out. I just want to tell you the truth. Okay? If you're looking for humility on this scale, it doesn't exist there. Did you know that low self-esteem and bravado grow from the same root? They both grow from the root of pride. This is actually a pride scale. Do you see the irony of us looking for humility on a pride scale? Yeah. That's like shopping for a shirt at a shoe store. You're just in the wrong place. At a different time, we'll talk about this, but to give you just a little bit of the bottom line, you can only get humility when you understand what your real identity is. And then it enables you to be this wonderful, humble person. And this humility allows you to be both vulnerable and transparent. This is what enabled Jesus to, in the same day, go sit with the worst of sinners. I'm talking about sitting down with prostitutes and people like that. Jesus was sitting over here with criminals and prostitutes and he was eating dinner with them and everybody's going, ooh, what kind of a leader do you have? He's over there with the riffraff and on the same day, Jesus could later go and sit at the table of a wealthy, very, very righteous person and you know something? Jesus felt the same way about himself here as he did here because his identity was not at all based in what other people thought of him or what other people thought of what he was doing. He knew he had come from God. He knew he was going to God. And he knew God had given him power in his life. And it enabled him to be humble and completely vulnerable. Think about this. Why did Jesus choose to come into our world as an infant as opposed to riding a horse? Because when you come in as an infant, you are the most vulnerable you could ever be as a human being. The king of heaven and earth chose to enter our world in a place of such vulnerability he could not even scratch where he itched completely vulnerable, and yet unthreatened. Now, this humility and this vulnerability and this transparency enabled Jesus to do something that we would all want to do. It allowed him to actually care for people. It allowed him to serve them. And an amazing thing happened out of that. But before I tell you Uh, well, you can look up there and see what the B stands for. Think about this. What separated Jesus from all the other religious teachers of his day? Only one thing, really. He actually cared about the people. And when people came to hear Jesus talk, they looked into his eyes, and every time Jesus interacted with them, somehow they knew from the look in his eyes whether they were were a prostitute or a wealthy law-abiding citizen and everyone in between. They looked in Jesus' eyes and they saw authentic care. And when you care, you serve. Right? When you care, you serve. Jesus found ways to serve the least and the most. And by the way, when you're humble and you're vulnerable and you care and you serve, do people want to be with you? They can't get enough of you. And they bond to you. And when they bond to you, they give you this last ring, which is power in their lives. And my friends, that's not afraid of power. What kind of power is that? That's drawn to power. And people gave Jesus such power in their lives that they would allow him to challenge long-held assumptions in their culture. And Jesus would challenge those assumptions. And, and, and they gave Jesus the power to speak into their lives about sometimes really awkward and personal things. And they weren't offended. Because they saw in him this caring, serving, bonding person who was vulnerable and transparent with them, who was genuinely humble, and who actually knew who he was. The biggest surprise of Christmas is that when the world was looking for a Messiah, everyone would be afraid of. God sent them a baby. Everyone was drawn to. I want to talk about those three cornerstones of Jesus' identity because they would be good for us to focus on. I want to go back and read the passage one more time. Jesus knew. That the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God. And Jesus knew that he would return to God. So, isn't that interesting? So, because of that, he was able to get up from the table, take take off his robe, and do the humblest of all tasks. Let's focus on those three things, and I'm going to take them in an order that's a little easier for us to understand. So let's start with number two first, okay? Jesus knew his origin and his heritage. Jesus knew that he had come from God. Jesus knew that he was the son of God. By the way, on the first page of the Bible, this is what God says about you and about me, that you and I have been created in the image of God. We too, are sons and daughters of God. There's only two differences between how we tend to live that out between us and Jesus. Number one, Jesus was not only the Son of God, He was God in human flesh. Please don't get yourself confused with that, all right? You you are not God in human flesh, okay? If you doubt that, just ask a few people around you, they can straighten you out in a hurry, all right? But here's the biggest difference, okay, that makes a difference for you and me. Jesus lived every day and every moment of every day with the continual awareness that he had come from God. That he would never be defined by the clothes he wore. He would never be defined by the donkey he he rode. He would never be defined by the job he had. He would never be defined by what other people thought about him. He would never be defined by his career. He would never be defined by a win-loss record. He would never be defined by his biggest failure or his greatest accomplishment. Jesus, at the core of who he was, day in and day out, lived in this context. I have come from God. I'm a child of God. Friends, that's available to you and me every day. And it's one of the things that will propel us to that place of freedom. To do and to be everything that God has called us to be and to do. Let's take number three. Jesus knew his destiny. He knew that his destiny was eternity. And friends, on virtually every page of the Bible you can find some reference to the fact that God's ultimate design for you and his ultimate desire for you is that you would live with him forever in eternity. You were born and made to live with God forever. Anything less than that. And you have actually cheated yourself out of what was supposed to be your true identity. But we easily forget that. It's why we get upset when someone cuts us off on the road. And all of a sudden, we get wrapped up in the here and now, and I'm going to be 30 seconds later than I could have been. So what fractional part of eternity is 30 seconds? But somehow it can be really important in that moment. Because we lose sight of our identity. And we go back to those old scripts that, and those old narratives that we have. Jesus never went to those narratives. And it gave him this wonderful freedom. And friends, my desire for you and for me, God's desire for you and for me, is that we would live in this narrative. In this narrative. That there would not be a moment Every choice that we make in this life that we would make in the context of knowing that we have come from God. And every choice that we would make in this life we would make in the context of knowing that we are returning to God. Now listen to this. When we get those right, then we are ready to begin to properly manage the power that God has given us. Because God always connects power with purpose. Let me give you a good working definition of power. Are you ready? Power is the ability to make a difference. Now, you can wield your power in such a way that you manipulate other people to make a difference in your life or in true humility and as someone who genuinely cares and serves others you can wield the power that God has given you to make a difference in other people's lives because you genuinely care. And when you wield your power that way, you will have this drawn-to power. By the way, if I were to take this and put a circle all the way around it, you know what I would call this? That, my friends, is authentic love. That's what it looks like. That's why it's the greatest. It springs from our identity. I don't want to close. I want to close with one thing, okay? And here it is. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. You know what the good news of great joy for all people is? This is your life. This is the life God makes available to you. I want you just for a moment to picture a world where we got this right. And we had this wonderful sense of identity that enabled all of us to live with genuine humility We could drop our guards and be vulnerable and completely transparent because we had nothing to hide because our real identity is not found in what other people think of us or what we do or the clothes we wear. We could drop our guard and just be us, the person God had made us to be. We would have this genuine sense of caring, and we would love to serve each other, and it would create a wonderful bond. And we would open our lives to each other and give each other power to to make a difference in our life. You would give me the opportunity to make a difference in your life. I would give you the opportunity to make a difference in my life. Friends, what would our world be like? It would truly be good news of great joy for all people. Can you change the world? Not by yourself you know what you can do? You can change your world. And you can make a difference in the lives of people around you. And I will guarantee you, not really me, Jesus will guarantee you that when you step into that kind of freedom as you go through this life and at the end of your life as you look back, you will find yourself saying, wow, I was made for that. three ways to apply this the first is this I'm choosing to become a follower of Jesus of all the messages you could ever hear this one should be the most obvious for why you would want to follow Jesus because he gives he's the one that makes it possible for you to step into that life. I'm going to give you a prayer in a minute that you can repeat um, after me that's a prayer of commitment that gets you started on that journey secondly, I'm choosing to reset my identity. I'm guessing that most of us in this room have pieces of our identity that are coming from the wrong script. Okay? This would be a good week to say, you know what? I'm going to focus on trying to live every moment of every day in this week in my true identity. That I have come from God. That I am going back to God and that god has ascribed or set aside or reserved a certain amount of power and put it in my life to make a difference in the lives of those around me and i'm going to focus on how i can do that and probably for most of us we're going to need practical steps for how to set that reset that identity and that's the third thing i will identify and use Three things, and they will vary from person to person. That's why I didn't put any up there. But if you go and you pray to God and say, okay, God, what do I need in order to reset my identity in the right place this week? What are three things I can do? He will guide you to three things that you can do. And then I would encourage you, do them every day. And you may need to do them multiple times a day. But when you do that, then this truth will become living and vibrant in your life. Let's pray. Father, I pray first of all for uh, most of us in this room that intellectually in our heads we know what our true identity is, but in our hearts, boy, we can wander from it so quickly. God, would you help this to be a week of resetting that identity right where it needs to be, would you help it to create in us this wonderful humility and this vulnerability that would produce in us a heart that really cares and spends far less time thinking about what other people think of us and spends its, its time and energy in serving and caring about other people. And then, God, would you enable us to, to so manage the power that comes from that that we could actually make a difference, a wonderful difference in people's lives. And God, I pray right now for those of us who are ready to make this decision to follow you, would you give us grace to do that right now? Would you give us courage to do that? Friend, if you're ready, here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into our world with this good news of great joy. Today, I choose you as my Savior. Thank you so much for making the way for me to live out my identity as God's child by dying for my sins. I accept your forgiveness. and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's message.